0: Thanks, Aaron. Um, We are going to be in Luke chapter 1 today if you want to go and have your Bibles turned there. Um, And as you're doing so, uh, I just wanted to um, thank you, Donna and Rich. Uh, It has been, it is 10 years almost, come February 3rd, something like that. And so it has been Great joy to be here, and I think probably one of the greatest things that we have seen just in our time is just how god's grace has worked in us as a church and grown us in our love for the gospel and one of that is is really your heart to be in the gospel on a regular basis to gather and to support the, the regular preaching of god's Word and even even things like last night and this morning just coming. We added 20-something more seats last night uh, to be able to, to have everyone in here. And it's just fun as you all are doing an incredible job on just sharing the hope of the gospel, inviting friends, inviting family members, and, and having them come where they do get to hear just the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I think that's probably my wife's and my, my greatest joy is just to see us as a church To love the gospel and to grow deeper in that love year after year, and being able to see that now for almost ten years has been really, really amazing. Um, Also, on kind of a uh, more of a side note, but after service, I I was going to mention it earlier and forgot. We are doing hot chocolate afterwards. Uh, It's for the kids, but parents, we'll we'll let you have some too. Uh, But. Well, I know that not everyone has opened all their presents this morning, so we wanted something for the kids to you know get them sugared up before they go home. So you're welcome for that. Uh, but today's Christmas. It is an awesome day, and I am, I'm glad that you're here with us. In fact, um, I, I think there's no better place to be than with the church, especially when Christmas like this falls on a Sunday. In fact, I think that might be one of the most significant things you can do today as a Christian. And I think that'll come out as as we come through the text today. One theologian said, Jesus is coming. Christmas is the foundation of our hope and the source of all of our joy. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're just going to look at a very well-known passage. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at the birth narrative of Jesus. And we're going to look at how his birth was announced by the angel Gabriel. And many of you probably know the joy of announcing the birth of a child. Uh, You have probably sent out something that says, it's a boy or it's a girl or, you know, whatever kind of way that you sent that out and and let people know. Pregnancies is a great celebration, um, but I've never seen an announcement that says something like, it's a boy and one day he'll be president of the United States. Or, it's a boy, and he'll be a doctor. Or, it's a boy, and he'll be strong and tall and have a deep, commanding voice. Like, I've never never seen that. I've never seen one that says, it's a girl, and one day she's gonna grow up and be a doctor, and she's gonna heal cancer. Or, Or, it's a girl, and she'll be the greatest violinist the world has ever seen. There's no way we know what our children will do before they are born. We don't even know what they'll do when they're born. In fact, to illustrate that, a little bit of the uncertainty we have with our children is when our firstborn was, was born. Uh, he was born around 1.30 um, in the morning on June, June 21st, longest day of the year. Had to take it, didn't you? Um, so when he, when he gets born, like around 1.30 in the morning, I send out the text, Joshua James Jackson has been born to all of our family members. If you know, that's not his name. You're like, wait a minute, do you have another son? And, and so, eight, nine hours later, my wife and I, and it, it was almost simultaneously, we're like, Joshua's not his name. His name is Ben. Now, think about that. No, we were certain on his name. Like, we, I mean, Benjamin was like so far distant as a second, like, runner up. Like, we didn't even hardly consider it. We just knew. And yet, when we saw him, we knew he was a Benjamin. And just think if we were uncertain, about his name, how much more uncertain would we be about the very things that he would accomplish? And yet, when we come to Scripture and we see the announcement of Jesus' birth, not only are we given his clear identity, but we're given a clear mission of what he will do and what he will accomplish before he is ever born. And so our main point this morning, what, what I think Luke wants us to see, what the text is wanting us to see, is that Christmas celebrates Jesus' coming in the flesh to rescue us into his eternal kingdom. And so that's what we're gonna just walk through today. So I wanna invite you to stand. We're gonna read Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. So it says In the sixth month, Gabriel was sent out from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, "'Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you.' But she was greatly troubled at the saying and trying to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, "'Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus.' the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let me pray. Father, 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 we thank you for your word. Your word that is given to us that we would know you. That we would know your character. That we would know what your redemptive plan is in this world. That we would know that you have created us in your image. That we would know that because of sin, we have rebelled against you, rejected you. And yet, God, you have sent your son into this world as a baby that he would save, that he would redeem, that he would bring us into your kingdom where we would spend all of eternity with you, praising you, glorifying you, and enjoying you. And so, Lord, I pray as we look at your text and we see how your son came into this world, God, may you be glorified. May we be moved to awe, to wonder, and joy. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. Um, So there's just three truths that I want us to see about the birth of Jesus this morning. And the first one, Jesus comes as a baby. That's it, first point. It it might seem obvious. You might say, well, I thought that's why we celebrated Christmas. Do we really need to have a point that says Jesus comes as a baby? Yeah, I, I think we do, because Scripture is totally intent on making sure we know Jesus came as a baby. Like, if you look at verse 31, the angel Gabriel appears to Mary and says, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, it's also made clear. Although the angel in Matthew's gospel doesn't show up to Mary, he shows up to Joseph, and he says that Mary will bear a son and at the end of Matthew's account, Matthew 1, we're told that Mary did bear a son, and his name is Jesus. In John chapter 1, verse 14, we're told that the word, meaning Jesus, will become flesh and dwell among us. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul, writing to the Galatian church, says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. In Hebrews 2, verse 14, we preached all through Hebrews, verse 14, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, meaning since we are flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Scripture is clear. Jesus was born into this world as a baby, just as you and I entered into this world. What that means is he moved inside his mother's womb. What that means is he kicked her ribs. He swung on her ribs just like your child might have done. I know my wife's ribs were a little bruised at times. But he he moved. He did what babies do in the womb. And because Jesus is born through Mary, he really is a descendant of Abraham, of David. He really is the one who fulfills the prophecies in the Old Testament. Now, why is that incredible? Because Jesus is also the Son of God. And Jesus has eternally existed. So, when we celebrate Christmas, we're not celebrating the beginning of the Son of God. He has always existed, he is co eternal, co existent, co equal with the Father and the Spirit. So, Christmas is not the beginning of the Son. Now your birth is, or you could say your conception, but your birth is the beginning of you. That's not so with God. No, Christmas is not his beginning. Christmas celebrates the Son of God entering into creation, adding humanity to himself, and receiving the name Jesus. That's what happens at Christmas. Because there's this mystery, which we're not going to get all into, and we're not going to try to necessarily explain, but Jesus One person with two natures. He's fully God and fully human at the same time. That's the mystery of Christmas. That's what we celebrate, that this Son of God came, added humanity to himself, that he would be like you and me. And you might say, well, how is that even possible? How do you have God, the Son of God, entering, which it is important. Do not say God came in the flesh. Like don't like say the Son of God, it is important because the Father didn't come in the flesh and the Spirit didn't come in the flesh, but the Son did. So that's my little theological little like soapbox. Make sure we're accurate with who came in the flesh. The Son of God came in the flesh, but how? How is that possible? So second point, not only did Jesus, not only was Jesus born, but he was born of a virgin. That's important for us to understand. I mean, The text wants us to see it. Mary conceived Jesus when she was not married, and we're told she had never known a man at this point. Matthew's gospel says that Mary was a virgin. It says that Joseph did not know her until after she gave birth. And here in Luke verse 27, we read Mary's not yet married. She is a virgin. And then in verse 34, just to show, Mary's a little confused too because she, know she knows how biology works. And she's like, to the angel, she goes, so how's this going to happen? I'm a virgin. Like, that doesn't work. So how is it that Mary conceives Jesus in her womb that he would be born in the flesh? Well, verse 35 the angel answers her and says, well, this is obvious. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the, power of the Holy, Holy, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So if you're asked, how will Mary conceive the baby Jesus, how is it? By the power of the Holy Spirit overshadowing her. And you might say, well, what does that mean? Is that clear as mud? So one theologian said this, and I thought it was helpful. He said this language echoes the Old Testament and reminds us of how the Holy Spirit has been actively involved in everything that God has done all throughout creation. Think about it. The Spirit was present at creation, hovering over the waters. The Spirit was there at the Exodus when he overshadowed the tabernacle in a cloud of glory. Later, the Spirit would overshadow Jesus, anointing him for his earthly ministry. It was the Spirit that made... um, it was the Spirit that Jesus made by the Spirit that Jesus made atonement for our sins. It was by the Spirit that He was raised from the dead. Then Jesus sent the Spirit to overshadow the church so that by his power and his presence we would serve Christ today. The Holy Spirit has been overshadowing the people of God from the very beginning, working with the Father and the Son for our salvation. So the Holy Spirit's active in everything that God does. And so in one sense, nothing new is happening, and yet in a whole other sense, something incredibly new is happening. So somehow, in a mysterious way, the Holy Spirit, just as he hovered over the waters at creation, or he fills the tabernacle with his glory, is going to come, by his power and by his presence, breathe life into the very womb of Mary, so that she would bear the Son of God, Jesus, within her. Now you might say, well, how is that possible? That sounds kind of crazy. Verse 37, the angel then says, nothing is impossible with God. And I just want you to think about that. If you believe God created the world out of nothing, spoke creation into existence, if you believe that he flooded the earth, and then drained the earth. If we believe that Jesus is the one who came, who died, who then three days later rose from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death, and conquering Satan, is it too hard to believe then that God could place life in the womb of a virgin? No, I don't think it is. We see that everything God does is supernatural. So why is it important that Jesus is born Of a virgin. And we could we probably answer this in many ways, but it emphasizes his humanity and his deity. Like if Jesus was not born like you and me, but he just appeared someday, looks like you and me, but he wasn't born like you and me, what might we say? You're not really human. And if he's not human, then he's not a proper substitute to go to the cross and stand in our place. Which is what Hebrews makes the point. We have to have a perfect human substitute to bear our sins on the cross. So if Jesus just simply appears, skipping the whole birth process, shows up at age 30, that's not really human. That's like Superman. He kind of looks like us, but we know he's not really like us, right? But Jesus comes like you and me in every single way that he truly is human and the fact that he comes of a virgin shows that he's like us but yet there is something very different. He is human and yet he is also totally divine. So just as Jesus' death and resurrection was supernatural, so is his birth. And we need to know this and we need to affirm this and we need to have our heresy ears like pricked and ready. Any denial of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ is a denial of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like, we have to know that. So anyone says, does it matter? And there was. There was a a pastor. I'll say he was a pastor, and since then he's totally left the church, and he's uh, much more of a new age thinker. Uh, If you're familiar with Rob Bell, he asked the question a long time ago, back in the early 2000s, does it really matter if Jesus was born of a virgin? What would it change if later we find out Jesus has a biological father named Joe? Does it really matter? Does it affect the story? And he would say, no, it doesn't. Because he would say all the doctrines of Scripture are like bricks. And think of a large brick wall. Well, certainly you can take out one brick and the wall will still stand. So what does it matter if we just pull out the virgin birth? And that is his argument. But come to Scripture, and what does Scripture say? If we remove the virgin birth, what do we lose? We lose Jesus. That's pretty big. Like, right? Like, we lose Jesus. We lose him because all of Scripture in the Old Testament, Isaiah, one of them, prophesied 700 years ahead of time. That a child will be born of a virgin. In Genesis 3.15, from the very first moment we're told there will be redemption, we're told the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. So according to Scripture, the Redeemer of all mankind will come born of a woman, and we're told in Isaiah, born of a virgin. We're told in Matthew. We're told in Luke, born of a virgin. If we don't have the virgin birth, you don't have Jesus, which means you don't have a Savior, which means, yeah, it's a big deal. So if we compromise on the virgin birth, it's not moving like we're removing one brick and the wall still stands. No, there is no wall. There's no hope. There's no Savior. So we need to come to that understanding that that's how important the virgin birth is. And one more thing to say. What is the effect of the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary? What is the effect that the text tells us comes about? What is that? Look at verse 35. We're told that the Holy Spirit will overshadow him by the power of the Most High. And then, then it says, Therefore, the child to be born shall be called holy. I want you to think about that. To be holy is to be pure is to be blameless is to be fully devoted to the very glory of God. So we're told that because of the work of the Spirit, Jesus is born without sin. He has a human nature, He's like us in every way, and yet he's perfect, He's righteous. So he's like us and yet never sins. Now why is he not sinful? Why is he not sinful? The answer is not because sin is passed by the man. Have you ever heard that? Go ahead, raise your hand. Have you heard that? I know some of, you, some of you are like, do I raise my hand? I heard that growing up. Well, it's obviously the sin is passed to the man because the man wasn't involved in the union of, of the process of making the child. Therefore, that's why Jesus is sinless. That argument's nowhere in Scripture. The reason Jesus comes free of sin is the, overpower- is the overshadowing work of the Spirit over the womb of Mary that Jesus would be born fully human, fully God, and yet without a sinful nature. And so, why then is it necessary that Jesus comes in the flesh without sin? That's a pretty important question. Why? Why is Scripture so clear on this point? And so, this, this brings us now to the mission. So, again, I said in the beginning, I have no idea what my kids are going to do before they're born and even after they're born, I have no idea what they're going to accomplish. And even when you think you know what your kids are going to do, like minutes later, they can prove you totally wrong, can't they, parents? You're like, "This is what, oh, it didn't work out again. But when we come to Scripture, we're told exactly what the mission of Jesus is going to be. Let me just give you two. John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, for God so loved the world. That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So somehow Jesus is coming to save. 1 Timothy 1.15, this is Paul's words. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to what? To save sinners. That's why Jesus came. He's on a mission. So how does Jesus save us? In verses 32 and 33, we're told Jesus receives a throne and a kingdom, and he will rule, and he will reign forever. So I really thought about naming like, my, the title of this message, Christmas is All About Politics. <laughs> See, I knew, I knew you were just like, yeah, that's awesome. Like you're kind of thinking we should have gone with that also. It's true. Like, think about it. Politics is all about rule and government and society and how we function together. Jesus, at Christmas, Jesus is coming to bring about the kingdom of God. It breaks into this world. In fact, Jesus says in Luke chapter 4, verse 43. So this is him beginning his preaching ministry. So he says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus came to preach about the kingdom. Jesus came to bring the kingdom because Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God. So Christmas is about politics. It's just a different kind of politic. But it is about a kingdom. It's about a people. It's about how we will serve in the kingdom of God for all of eternity. If you think about it, the whole Bible is about kingdoms. We talked about this a little bit last night. But it's all about kingdoms. And really when you boil it down, there's only Two kingdoms, the kingdom of the world or the kingdom of Satan, and then you have the kingdom of God. And what we see is when Adam and Eve were, were created, they sinned, they rebelled against God, they were removed from the garden, which if the garden represents the presence, the rule, and the blessings of God, so the kingdom of God, and they were outside of that, they're now moved outside of the kingdom of God into the kingdom of this world where you and I are all born. And in the kingdom of the world, there's pain, there's strife, there's divisions, there's evil, there's suffering. All the things that we struggle with are in this kingdom of the world. If you think about it, think about America, think about any country. Think about the divisions that are currently present. Think about families. Think about the brokenness that we experience within families, the pain that is experienced. Within the kingdom of this world, there's, there's selfishness there's consumerism there's meism. the kingdom of the world is not known for grace not known for love not known for mercy and we're told as we look at God's word throughout scripture is that the kingdom of the world has a time limit on it it's coming to an end it will expire and on the day that the kingdom of this world will come crashing down we're told there will be one kingdom left standing It's the kingdom of God. It's the one in which Jesus rules over. And Christmas is about that kingdom breaking in to this world to be established forever. If you think about it, Israel in the Old Testament was a shadow of this. It was a foreshadow of this. And the kings of Israel were a foreshadow of the great king, Jesus. That's why we have someone like David. David in the Old Testament, he's the king of God's people. We're told he's a a man after God's own heart, and yet was was he perfect? No, he was sinful. We see those sins, and because he is sinful, he eventually will die. And we see that every king will die. Whether you're in Israel or outside of Israel, every king of every kingdom will eventually die. And how the king leads, so the people will follow And so what we need is a perfect king, a righteous king who will lead God's people in righteousness and who will never die, never need to be replaced. So that is what Jesus Christ came to do. And in fact, I think Luke wants us to go back further than just Israel. He wants us to think all the way back to Adam. Because in Luke chapter 3, there's a genealogy that Luke gives. And do you remember who he traces the genealogy all the way back to? Matthew goes back to Abraham. And he's like, hey, I want everyone to know Jesus is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, of the Davidic covenant, and that's what Jesus has come to do. Luke says, I want to go back further than that. I'm going to take you all the way back to Adam. And in Luke chapter 3, verse 38, we're told that Adam is what? The son of God. Well, that's interesting, because then when we come here into into, uh, Luke's narrative, in chapter 1, verse 35, we're told he is holy, and he is the what? The son of God. So what Luke wants us to see is that not only does Jesus come as the fulfillment of the Davidic king, but he comes as the fulfillment of a greater Adam. What we have been needing ever since the beginning of time. Adam represents all of humanity. Because Adam sinned, we have all sinned. What we need is a better Adam, a better representative. What we need is a better king. What we need is one who is perfect, one who is righteous, one who will never die. That's Christmas. And we needed someone to be perfectly human like you and I in every way. And yet the only way he could fulfill this role is he would have to be God also. So Jesus came in the flesh that he would be king and that he would establish the kingdom of God and that we who believe in him would reign with him for all of eternity. That's the whole point of Christmas. That's why he came as a baby, why he came from a virgin, and why he came to rule and to reign the very kingdom of God. And if you think about this, think about what this tells us about God. God's not removed from creation. Deism says God uh, treats creation like a clock. He winds it up, he sets it down, walks away, and it just kind of does its own thing, right? But what we see is that the God of the Bible, he knows us, he sees us, he loves us, he knows what our biggest problem is. And he knows that the only solution is the very sending of his son, that he would rescue us, that he would save us, that he would redeem us. So Christmas is about Jesus does know who we are. He knows us intimately, and he knows what our biggest need is, the saving us from our sins, the bringing us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son, Jesus. And so I encourage you, if you have not yet believed in Jesus that you would believe in Jesus today, believe that he is the son of God come in the flesh, that he would be born as your savior and that he would one day die on the cross for your sins, rising three days later so that he would conquer sin, death, and Satan, so that everyone who believes in him would be forgiven and have everlasting citizenship in his kingdom. If you have not yet believed in Jesus, I urge you to believe in him today. And I want you to think about this. When you believe in this Jesus you enter as a citizen of his kingdom, right? Which then means the very same spirit that overshadowed Mary, that brought life into her, that anointed Jesus, is now the same spirit that anoints you to live what? A very distinct life here on this earth showing your allegiance to what? The kingdom of God, and that Jesus is our king. So I ask you, what's the most politically religious thing you can do on Christmas Day when it falls on a Sunday. Gather with the church. We're called to be salt and light in this world. So one of the most powerful things we can do is just simply gather together, even gather together on a regular basis saying, this is our God, this is our King, this is the kingdom in which we believe in. And then even going beyond that, one of the most One of the most common things that we can do each and every day is is simply read the Bible. Parents, disciple your children. Tell them about Jesus. Help them to know the stories of Christ and the stories that we have in God's word. Pray for your children. Pray for one another. Pray for the church. Pray for your enemies. Tell others about Jesus. Those are some of the common, normal, and I would say radical things that we do every single day day that display our love for Christ and our citizenship in his kingdom that's what it is to be a Christian that's how we celebrate Christmas is by gathering with his people and celebrating Jesus is our king so if you're a believer I pray that you rejoice today because Christmas celebrates Jesus coming in the flesh to rescue us from our sins and to bring us into his kingdom and I hope you know that if you're an unbeliever, I would ask you, will you believe in Jesus? Do you see that not only does the Bible accurately diagnose the problem that we see, that we all see in the world, but that it gives us a cure, It gives us a solution, and not a temporary solution, but a real lasting hope. And the hope isn't found in a thing, but it's found in a person, in Jesus Christ. Christmas is the celebration. That Jesus come into the flesh, come in the flesh to rescue us into his eternal kingdom. And so I pray that you know that truth. I pray you love that truth. And as you go home, and I, maybe some of you got up early because of children today. And you've already opened all of your presents. Awesome. Uh, some of you might be a fortunate and slept in a little bit longer than that. And you still have presents to open. Let your kids Fully, fully, fully enjoy every present they have. Help them to see the great joy that they have, but then know this and remind them that three years ago they have no idea what that present was they got under the tree. Right? You might be hard pressed to remember their best present from last year. Might be. So, help your your kids know fully what that present is, and then help them to see that it won't last. But there is a present that does last. And all these presents are simply just the foreshadowings of a much greater gift that God gave in his son Jesus. And to know him is to have eternal life with God and to have a citizenship with him that never expires. And so I hope your kids to know that truth. So I want to pray, and then we are going to to partake of communion, and the ushers will dismiss you row by row, and we'll come back to our seats and take it all together. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that, Father, you sent your son Jesus and he would die on the cross for us, rising three days later so we could be forgiven of our sins. And we know that Easter only comes because Christmas came first. And Lord, I pray, I pray that we never forget the true meaning of Christmas. And I pray that we We as Christians here today would rejoice that at your birth, your kingdom broke into this world. And your son was born king. Your son was born to rule, to reign everlasting. His kingship has no expiration on it. And God, may we take great joy in that. And because your son is righteous, we know that he will lead us in perfect righteousness and your kingdom will be perfectly righteous. Lord, we know that all the kingdoms of this world will one day fall. And so, Lord, I pray that we know today that our citizenship is secure in you. And so that while one day all the worldly kingdoms will not stand, that we know we will stand with you in your kingdom that will last forever because your son Jesus reigns forever. Thank you that he was born. Thank you that he was born of the Virgin Mary. Thank you that he came out of joy to save us bless us now as we now partake of communion remembering the mission of jesus and that he not only not only he came and died but he rose accomplishing that which you gave him in your name jesus amen